0: Bible reading. I'm I'm switching. (laughs) I'm reading the Bible passage today. It's in Matthew 7, 13 to 29. It's not from 7. It's 7, 13 to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Water for first profit, they come to you in sheep's folly, but in way they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or thieves from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Therefore, everyone who hears this word of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not
1: as their teachers of the law. Good morning, friends. Today we close our Sermon on the Mount series, and I trust that you've been encouraged and challenged to make change. The Jewish crowd who flocked to see Jesus probably did so more because he'd been doing some miraculous healing. They were probably hoping to see more miracles rather than to hear a call for radical life changes. As Jesus went around saying, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. I can see the crowd nodding along, seeing themselves amongst those that Jesus was blessing certainly they are amongst the persecuted I keep the law I haven't murdered anyone I'm not praying to great anger I'm not an adulterer and I've never been divorced if I make an oath I keep it and I've never been in a serious fistfight. I don't have any real enemies Oh well except for the Romans but I stay out of their way I pray, I tithe and I even fast and they would have added and the Messiah is coming And he's going to set everything right, so all I have to do is just wait quietly and not rock the boat until then. My good friend Monty Python famously made a joke of the crowd misinterpreting Jesus' teaching. Blessed are the cheesemakers, he is heard to say. And then people ask, and what's so special about cheesemakers? And It's then explained to them, well, obviously it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy (laughs) (laughs) products. Now, hopefully we are not like Monty Python's crowd who only heard what they wanted to hear and then further moulded it to make it even more palatable. I really hope that you, like me, have been challenged by these teachings and their call for radical change in our daily life. So as we conclude our series, let's pray that we would have ears to hear Jesus' words and that we might be strengthened in his spirit to put these words into practice. Our Father, help us not just to take what is easy and comforting from your word. Help us not to be half-hearted or looking to do the minimum that we can justify as passing for obedience. Help us today to have ears to hear what pleases you and help us to be a feeding children, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Let us not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. There is a wise saying, you always have time for the things that are most important to you. And I know that whilst it is fashionable for a bride to be late on their wedding day, I doubt that one misses her wedding day altogether because she just had to binge watch that last episode of Survivor or MasterChef. You see, life is full of choices, big ones and little ones. And each one tells you something about ourselves. Little ones, they speak to our preferences. I'll have the steak and you'll have the salmon. Others tell us more. Christians invest time and money and talents into following Jesus, while others invest in themselves and today. Other choices show us our level of commitment. A true fan goes to the game, rain, hail or shine, whilst others might only go when their team is playing at home and when they have nothing else on. And sometimes priorities clash. What happens to Bible study when it's Wednesday night and it's State of Origin? Oh, so lucky it was school holidays this week. (laughs) Today's passage, Jesus finishes talking to the crowd who no doubt already saw themselves as God's people. So the expectation, a nice day out, some words of comfort, And hopefully a miracle or two to finish. So when Jesus came to those, but I tell you words in his sermon, they had a choice to make. Either they dismiss his words as those of an overzealous preacher, or they see them as something aimed at the religious leaders who need to do better, or perhaps they would need to open their spiritual eyes and ears to what their God was like and what God wanted from each of them in their everyday lives. You see, today's passage talks of the broad road which many are on and of a wide gate that leads to destruction that many will enter. I just wonder how many in the crowd said, Oh yes, yeah, sock it to those Gentile dogs, Jesus! <coughs> Not for a moment thinking that he was talking to them. And I think today we face a similar dilemma. Whilst many Jews assumed God's favour because of their history and the temple, we too can easily become complacent if having accepted Jesus as our saviour, we do not come to terms with him being Lord as well. And while salvation is a gift, something that we can never earn, let us never be people who both know what our God is like and know what pleases him, but then carelessly live our lives that are inconsistent with what we know to be true. I've certainly been challenged around whether I hunger and thirst after righteousness or just do the minimum that I can justify as obedience. And surely none of us want to be amongst those whom Jesus speaks of in verse 22, who call out, Lord, Lord, on Sunday or in emergency, but on other days think nothing about calling a brother a fool, getting angry and demanding rights, having that wandering, covetous eye, or giving our word and not standing by it. And Jesus' warning also helps me realise just how easily I am led astray and how much I need to repent and cling even closer to him every day. And my weakness also helps me understand why Jesus warned us of the false false prophets in verse 15. They're going to come amongst us promising, turn to Jesus and your life will instantly be better. But then they always seem to add rules like, oh and by the way, your faithfulness will be measured by how much you give or uh, how many rosters that you are on. And I think often their message is attractive to many who like the certainty of a do this, get that transactional uh, relationship. And these false prophets claim to have special insights or knowledge about when Jesus is going to return. But then they say, follow me, rather than pointing to Jesus. So let's be clear, anything that is a Jesus plus this equals salvation message, is false and must be discarded. Now sometimes these false prophets are really easy to spot. Jesus tells us, by their fruit they will be recognised. Those that make, make it all about them, who, are, or who seem to be more interested in prestige or profit, they shouldn't be followed. Yet others can be much harder to spot. They look good to the eye, enticing to the ear, but even a taste of what they're teaching can be dangerous or deadly. I think the key test is that they seek to give, whether or not they seek to give all the glory to God. And let's just think about Jesus' model. Even when he was approaching his death in John 12, 27, where he could have made it all about what he was doing Um, for his father and for us, he said, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then that voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Okay, so we know how to pick the false prophet. But let's recognise that even in the church, there are some who will, who do not truly belong to Jesus. Verse 21 in our passage today specifically says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many of you will say on that day, Lord, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The warning is for anyone who thinks they can earn the right to enter the kingdom because of their good works or for being a good bloke. Even if one could boast that they've been on parish council, that they'd run a Bible study, that they'd served communion, that they'd led the prayers or even preached a sermon. They would be in peril if they thought that being such a good bloke made them worthy of heaven. You see, we can do nothing to earn our place in heaven. We cannot claim it as a right or something owed to us by God. Only by calling on Jesus as Saviour and having him as Lord may we be saved. Now I have to say, if there's been one learning I've had from this series, it's been that God is concerned about the attitude of his children's hearts because he knows that that is what drives our actions. Now God abhors the heart of stone, the one that's coldly legal at best. And whilst Jesus regards those absolutes—no murder, no adultery, telling the truth in court—he sees them as no-brainers. Here, he's more on about having the love of God flow through our redeemed hearts of flesh into our relationships with Him and our neighbours in each one of our daily interactions. I think the sermon just explains the Sermon on the Mount explains over and over again. How all the law and the prophets can be summed up in a relational command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. And I think as we truly hear these truths and examine our lives we quickly can realise that perhaps we are poor in spirit. In other words, that we see that we're sinful and cannot save ourselves. We then see the broad road of self leading away from God and to destruction. And we reject it. We realize how desperately wicked and deceitful our heart is and how great our need is for God's grace and mercy. And we feel our need to repent. And we know that our repentance finds forgiveness, giving us peace with God. And from here we seek to be like him, setting out on that road to pleasing him in all we say or do. And this is the narrow way, the one to being blessed, the one that leads to the gates of heaven of which Jesus speaks in verse 13. And those with their spiritual ears open can then hear the, but I tell you, half of Jesus' teaching. His true believers' desire to be salt and light, that is, to make an everyday difference rather than living lives of bland legalism, hiding our lights under bushels so that little is asked or expected. We desire to be radically obedient, adopting a whatever-it-takes approach rather than looking for that minimum that might pass as obedience. And I think this makes us stand out because we no longer go places or do things that are along that broad road to destruction. We challenge ourselves to pray before we speak, so that we don't speak harshly or rashly. We don't put ourselves in temptation's way where we know that our resolve might crumble, and we keep our word even when others won't. We're people who love those who are hard to love and who give to those in need. We become more interested in storing up treasures in heaven than gaining earthly wealth and status and prestige. We are becoming the wise builders of verse 24. We've not just built up our houses on the solid and foundation of Christ alone, although that is just so important, but we're also living in the strength of his spirit, putting in place the spiritual building blocks of a godly life that will then stand any test. So today let's reflect on what we've heard and let's consider what sort of house we're building. Hopefully none of us are those foolish builders (coughs) who have heard the words of Jesus and ignored them, building an all-about-me house. Such a house might look awesome, And it might be enough to stand some challenges, but it will ultimately come crashing down. Hopefully all of us have put our trust in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. This alone is the rock on which all the houses that will stand the test must stand. Then having that firm foundation, let us go on to consider the house, which continues to be built as we walk with the Spirit day by day, continuing to heed all the words of Jesus. Another way you can summarise the Sermon on the Mount is being Jesus' teaching on, one, what God is like, and two, how to live to please him. For example, do not murder tells us that our our God is all about life. It tells us that eternal life with him is his God. And obviously, he'll be against anyone who seeks to take life. But equally, it tells us he's about oneness, about peace, and about right relationships. And it also says that he alone has the right to rule, to, to handle life and death, and to judge. So he's against anyone who would put themselves in his place in taking life or condemning. So those who have ears to hear realise that when they strike out against their neighbour, bear with fists or even sharp words, We're putting ourselves in God's place. The heart's desire is selfish, and this is sin, falling short of our understanding and our relationship with God. And we know our God sees all, the lust of our eye and our heart, even though others only see it if the thought is carried into action. And as God is all about oneness, the two becoming one in marriage matters deeply to him. Any betrayal of that in thought, word or deed matters equally. And we should realise that when God spoke from creation onward, it came to be, (coughs) and Jesus himself is the word become flesh. As such, our words truly matter. God's word is always reliable and trustworthy, and so he expects no less from any of his children. And we should realise that when God acts, He is patient and compassionate, not wanting any to perish, but wanting all to come to salvation. When he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, he came at a time when we were all his enemies. Yet he so loved the world that anyone who believed in him, he gave the gift of eternal life. So then, how does he expect those who have been gifted so much to act? Of course he expects us to love our enemies, to help the needy, and to show love and obedience towards him. And so these are the core messages of the Sermon of the Mount over and over. See God for who he is. Understand what pleases him. And call on him for salvation. And then build your life in a way that's pleasing to him. Day by day. Now you think that Jesus being the word become flesh would have been a pretty skilled orator. But I do not think the crowd was amazed just because of his skillful speech. We read in verse 28 that when he had finished speaking, the crowd was amazed because he spoke with authority. He was not like the Pharisees who always prefaced anything they said with, Rabbi X said this, or it is written that calling on the authority of those great revered men from Israel's past, like Moses. Jesus simply said, but I tell you. Jesus could do this because he was one with the Father. He knew exactly what his Father was like, and he knew exactly how to please his Father. In John 11, verse 42, Jesus makes this clear when he's calling to his Father before he raises Lazarus. He says, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here around me, that they may believe that you sent me. The point is, Jesus never acted on his own. He had already prayed to his father that Lazarus might be raised, and then, so that his father may be glorified, He then said what he said, to make it absolutely clear that Jesus was his Father's obedient Son, acting in accordance with his will. (laughs) And so if it's good for Jesus to pray and submit himself to the Father's will, then acting, acting obediently each and every time, then perhaps that's an excellent model for us. And if we're ever tempted to say, oh, but that's too hard. We know that Jesus understands our weakness. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we might have the strength to do his will. So where does this leave us as we conclude our series? First of all, if you're one of God's children, you'll realise that you're saved by faith in Jesus alone. There are no works you can do, no righteousness you can bring, anything that will earn you a place in heaven you like me are only saved by the grace of god in jesus however please hear the encouragement or if necessary the rebuke to not stop there if we're no better than the man in the street who basically keeps the law of the land or at least I or who does not murder, the one who does not commit adultery, who gives to charity and loves those who loves him, then what's to be said of us? Rather, we're to be God's obedience children. So let's be all that we're called to be. May gratitude and love drive obedience that flows from our hearts into all of our daily actions to the delight of our Heavenly Father. Let's realise that all sin matters. Not just those with consequences that are major, physical or obedient. Rather, let's grow in godliness and obedience as we walk in step with the Spirit. May we be known for all those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Because these don't flow out of any law but they flow from that attitude of the heart, the one that's spirit-filled, that heart of flesh. And finally, let us take a warning and encouragement from the letter to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 2. First, the warning for any who need hear it. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realise you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And then the encouragement. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.